and welcome to my podcast, Being the Future. Today we are talking to Carrie Boyle from uh, Youth Voices, and I'm very excited because we have a great podcast for you lined up. It's I know that this is our second time talking about youth advocacy, but this time it's a bit more of a professional and actually one of the founders of Youth Voices. So buckle up and get ready for a wonderful episode. Welcome to my podcast. We are here today with Kelly Boyle. Hi, Izzy. Nice to meet you here. Um, so should we dive into the questions? You bet. Okay. So why did you find the need for youth voices in the legal system? Well, um, I hope this isn't too long a backstory, but um, in about 2013 or 2014, I'm a retired lawyer now. I was um, still in practice then. Um I worked with a group of other family lawyers and mediators, judges, and so on, who really thought that the family justice system in BC needed to be transformed. And the efforts that had been made up until then uh, weren't working. They were mostly a group of inside insiders, experts, got together and decided, identified the problem, developed a whole bunch of solutions, and then wrote a report telling other people what to do to fix things. So as you can imagine, that didn't get very far. The report was plotted, and then it would sit on a shelf for 10 years, and then 10 years later, another group would come forward and do the same thing. So we were looking for new ways to do things and to make a very long story short. So it was not my decision. It was a group um, decision that decided we should start out on this road and we decided that the new thing that we decided to do was to take um, a human-centered design approach which means starting with the people with lived experience putting them at the center and in this case it was young people children and so we um, we worked with a a wonderful agency in Vancouver um, and who do who do um, design work and service design work in particular, and we uh, organized a workshop and we put tried to put the word out as widely as we could to get young people who had this experience come to the workshop and to tell us their story. And uh, it was actually harder than we thought to find young people who were willing to do that, who had the courage, but more importantly, the time and the motivation to come. And we were only able to offer a small honorarium, you know. So uh, the first date that we picked, um, we decided to adjourn and keep working towards getting a larger group. But eventually we did. We got about 15 young people who came, uh, bless them. And um, we had a uh, and a few of our lab of our lab team were there as well, um, but the organization we worked with um, uh, did a great job of um, leading the group. They worked in small groups, and so that made it sort of more intimate in a way to to tell their stories. And in those days, of course, it was. 2016 and we were still able to meet in person so we got to meet the people face to face and uh, I have to say that that whole workshop was transformational 
for me and the others that were there. It was um, the stories were so moving and the young people were so articulate and so clear and so honest. Um, and some of the stories were heart wrenching. Um, so we, we, um, we were so grateful for them and it really started to change how we looked at everything. And um, we took all the information away and um, looked and they helped us develop some themes, but we kind of took it from there and, you know, came up with um, an idea for a second workshop where we'd actually start getting into some solutions and um, brainstorming, okay, what is the question that we're dealing with? And then how might we uh, tackle it? And at the end of the day, um, the, the, the uh, prototype, we called it, that had the most support from the young people and the lab participants was something we called Youth Voices, which was um, envisioned to be a platform, digital platform, designed to allow young people to tell their stories in a multitude of different ways. It could be in writing, it could be a poem, could be a song, could be rap, could be a play, anything, and, uh, and have it showcased there, in part to develop a community of peers, uh, of support for support, uh, but also as an educational tool for system professionals. Um, and so we're still working on that. We have, um, you know, a, a framework developed for what that might look like, but we need funding to move ahead with it. In the meantime, um, in order to keep things moving, we formed a youth leadership group and um, invited the people who were involved in our platform and then some others who came uh, afterwards, sorry, involved in the workshop and then others who came after. And um, and it's been a great ride since since then. So they have led the way. It's a youth-led initiative, um, and I, my job is just to help to facilitate uh, all of that and to coordinate some of the activities. And um, it's ended up being um, at the moment there's there's a lot of opportunities being presented to the young people for speaking engagements with system professionals and especially with judges which is um really exciting and uh and then um uh, other opportunities we're working on an art installation that that might to envisioned to go in downtown Vancouver to elicit conversation on the topic. We've got other initiatives that we're supporting, like transforming the family justice system that you know about, Izzy. And the, um, yeah, so it's it's turned out to be very fruitful, all because of the stories and the dedication and commitment of the young people. Yeah. Um, were there certain like cases that you were doing as a lawyer that kind of um, spoke to hope to want to start a group? Well, that's interesting because in my legal practice, I practiced corporate commercial litigation. So I never practiced in the area of family law, but I learned about the family justice system when I was um, executive director of Mediate BC. 
and Mediate BC has rosters of mediators. One of them is a family roster. So I, I got to know a number of uh, family mediators who were day in and day out helping families move through this process. And I heard their frustrations about the system and some of the stories and the cases that they had experienced. And so it, it made me um, I'm very um, aware of the shortcomings of the system. And so um, when this opportunity came up, though, when the group identified that the voices of young people was a place that they wanted to work, um, you know, I am um, uh, a divorced mom. I uh, two kids, and now I have, I'm blessed to have two stepkids as well in the second marriage. But I, uh, I did, looking back, I think um, it was a difficult uh, separation. And I didn't give my kids, my kids were only 18 months and four years old but at the beginning, but this was a long journey. And I didn't give them enough credit. I didn't give them enough opportunity to, to say what they wanted and to give their insights and their views on things. And so I, I really, it opened my eyes to a whole new thing. And I think a lot of parents are so, when they're in the middle of their separation experience, it's very stressful. And they're trying to keep a lot of plates spinning at the same time. And um, it's not that they want to do their kids harm, but they, it may not occur to them to, to do that. So we need to just bring it to the forefront a bit more and, and educate people that this is something that can really help the well-being of kids. Why do you think that youth is left out of the loop? Yeah, that is an excellent question. Um, and one of the things that we need to know more about, because I don't think that most parents mean to cause harm to their children. As I say, I think it's... Um, that they are stressed themselves and it's there many of them may be going through their own trauma um, and their resources are limited uh, for others i think they may be um, the system professionals thinking of them you know why isn't this happening more why is there a gap from their perspective i think um a lot might have to do with fear <laughs> because they they really don't want to cause harm to the children and they feel that they you know in law school we don't learn how to do this stuff right we we don't learn how to talk to children in a way that is compassionate and direct and um lawyers will say to me you know well i'm not a social worker i'm not a therapist i didn't learn how to do that i don't have those skills you know i'd rather call somebody else in to do it right and um, so I think there's there's a fear there, and same with judges. They are they're concerned that they don't have the skill set to do it well, and they really don't want to cause the children more pain than they've already experienced. So, in order to make this happen more, um, that gives us some clues about what we need to do. And one of the things is education and providing information, but the other is giving skills and practice opportunities to practice the skills. And so um, 
each of the various groups that we're talking about, whether it's lawyers or judges or mediators or therapists or counselors or teachers in schools, whoever is, is um, in a position where they're identifying that a child is struggling with this, um, what skills do they need? What skill set, what practice frameworks do they need? And how can we help them develop them? Yeah. Um, and what does your group do to solve the gap between youth and the legal system? Yeah, good question. This is an evolving thing. So um, we're always looking for new ideas. So as I said at the beginning, we thought about the digital platform that still isn't up, but in its place, we have our Instagram account. And uh, it's proving to be a great way to engage. Um, not only with young people, but with other agencies who are supporting young people in a variety of different ways. And so um, we've discovered that kids who are have been taken into foster care, for example, often have uh, stories of how they are, their voices were not heard and they didn't have weren't given an opportunity to participate or have a say in some of the decisions that were made about their lives. And so we're developing alliances through that and so on. Um, the speaking engagements at conferences and workshops are have been really great. And um, we've got a new opportunity to do a workshop for Adler University students. So reaching out beyond just the justice system and talking to those who are going to be counselors and therapists in their future. So things like that, those are what we're hoping to do to change the hearts and minds and behaviors of people. So what is the most frustrating part of your job? To be honest, um, it's just that I am uh, in my retirement. This is my volunteer work and I wish I had a ton more time and a ton more resources to put towards this important initiative. It really is important and every time I hear the stories of the young people, I am just so inspired. And we also seem to be making some progress and so I really um, I do feel badly sometimes that I'm not doing enough, but other than that, there's no frustration. It's it's um, very inspiring and motivating for sure. Mm. Well, you're doing wonderful at it. Aw, thank you, Izzy. <laughs> um, so I also wanted to ask, um, how far along do you think society is getting in listening to the youth in the legal system? Yeah. Well, as I said, a lot of the research that we're relying on has been around for decades. There, you know, people have been writing about this topic for a long time, that children's well-being is linked to their ability to participate and to have voice. And you've got the United Nations um, Convention on the Rights of the Child, which in 2016 says the same thing. And yet, you know, we aren't noticing big changes on the ground. Until now, until now, I'm sensing, you know, in our work with Youth Voices and also with Access to Justice BC and the transforming the family justice system, um, Jane Morley and I were talking today and, and I think that there is 
a movement happening. Like I feel like there's some momentum happening on this issue. And the number of people who are interested and wanting to join in these dialogues and um, and we're not just talking justice system people, we're talking people across many disciplines um, because it's taking an intersectoral approach. So people from healthcare, people from um, counseling and mental health, people from the uh, education system and so on are keen to talk and to help this, um, to help kids. So I, I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic that we may be able to make some headway here. Yeah. And why do you think that um, recently it's been more traction picking up and stuff? Wow, I wish I knew the answer to that because then we could do more of it, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think in some ways um, it's the new, we've tried to focus, as you know, on storytelling instead of just writing reports and mm -hmm. bringing people together to collaborate. And that is, those are two of the things that are important for a lab approach that we've learned. So there's something very powerful about hearing a, a story from someone who's been through the experience themselves. From their point of view, it develops empathy. It, um, it grabs you at your heart, not just your head. And I don't want to speak for everyone in the justice system, but I know lawyers do tend to, to stay way, to spend way more time in our heads than, than in our hearts. And you need both. You need both. So that's the, the power of stories, maybe what's turning the corner here. Ah. And is there anything that we missed? Well, there's so much. I mean, <laughs> I I owe so much to, you know, people like you who are interested in coming forward and using their experience to help other young people. I mean, I just think the courage there is so amazing. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity today to talk to you, Izzy. So well done on this. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming. You're very welcome anytime. Well, have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much, Izzy. All the best. Take care. Bye. Bye for now.